I'm going to invite you to join me in Colossians 3, verse 16 today. We are on our Thanksgiving series. The theme is Become Thankful. That comes out of the last two words of verse 15. I know our translation says, for the most part, be thankful. The Greek verb there is become thankful. Take on the appearance of thankfulness. Assume the character of being thankful. So we're going to study that again today. And it says in verse 16, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. With all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We're going to learn that today. But let's ask for the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege again of meeting in this place with Bibles in our hands and hearts that are ready. I pray, Lord, that you teach us today. Make a... uh, significant impact in our hearts and in our lives. Give us a desire, a very strong one, to follow through with what we hear, to do what you tell us to do, that uh, we may benefit greatly, but that you might be praised more. We want to become thankful people. So help us in our study today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple weeks ago, we started this uh, short study on uh, Thanksgiving from this chapter, chapter 3 of Colossians. Uh, It's a three-week adventure, and we are on the middle uh, week, right in the middle of it all. And it's kind of appropriate, I think, that today is the middle of the study, because we're right in the middle of what we ought to know as well, in verse number 16, in regards to Thanksgiving. And what is in the middle is essential. One year ago yesterday, November 16th, at 7 o'clock a.m., there was terrible news announced. Our society was going to be changed. Hostess declared they weren't making Twinkies anymore. (laughs) That's devastating. Especially now that you've just found out something new about your pastor. (laughs) Sometimes the revelations aren't so wonderful, are they? But I remember how how people sold those boxes on eBay for enormous amounts of prices. Uh, Well, the news came last March. What? Twinkies are going to be back. Our world got back to normal again. That was great. Uh, They were soon to be on the grocery shelf, and uh, for people like me, that was a huge relief. Now, some may argue about what makes a Twinkie so delicious. Well, I believe it's what you find in the middle. That's my favorite part. You know, originally, I'll go through history with you for a minute. Back in the 1930s, when Twinkies were first uh, brought to our attention and, and brought to be sold in the market, they had a banana cream filling. And that's the way they sold them, always with banana cream filling. Until World War II changed everything. Even Twinkies 
there was a, a rationing of bananas. And so they switched to a vanilla cream filling. And so they, they, that became quite popular over the years. But they've, they've experimented from time to time. Some might remember the strawberry swirl fillings. And not that long ago, about seven years, six or seven years ago, they decided to try the banana filling again. And there's some of that available from time to time. I've even heard of chocolate and various uh, fillings, but it still comes back to that uh, vanilla cream in the middle. is really good. Now, you may be thinking right now, what does that have to do with Colossians 3? <laughs> I told you we're right in the middle. The middle part is essential because Hostess has tried many different things, and I know another company is, is selling them now, but they've tried many different things to alter their product to get people to buy it, to, to get more sales. So they experimented with the filling. And on various occasions, they, they thought that'd make a big difference. And, and you know how that's, that's true in marketing businesses. They, they do change things from time to time. And I just have a simple point for you this morning. And it starts this way. The goal that we have here in our study of God's Word is not to experiment with what's in the middle to see what works best. What God has already designed cannot be improved upon. He tells us in this verse, in the midst of this whole study of thankfulness, that the word of Christ should dwell within you. What's in the middle is essential. And he's never going to change his mind on that. He won't alter that. He won't suggest some other things just to get it more popular, to get more people involved. He insist and he states it in such a way we're going to be overwhelmed with it today but he says let the word of Christ dwell richly within you that's essential let's start this way just with the single word to dwell it's in our text here let the word of Christ richly dwell within you that's actually from two different words put together the word en in the Greek and oikeo is the word to house it's a simple word in the Greek, to house, to, to reside. It's to remain, is the idea that it works with. Now, when you stuff that N on the front of it, in-house, in-house, you intensify it for one thing. But you also speak of that which we, we call dwelling, in-dwelling, in-dwelling. That's not a casual visitor, is it? If somebody says, you know, I'm coming over to your house to visit then you understand it's not going to be for a long time. If they say, I'm going to come over to your house to dwell, you may start to get a little nervous. If they say, I'm coming over to your house to indwell, they're not leaving. That's your word. Let the word of Christ indwell is the word. Indwell. It's a powerful little word. I had to dig it up a little bit in our English dictionaries. How do we use this word indwell? Uh, the English dictionary says it's something that exists as an inner activating force or principle. In other words, it, it's there right in the middle to influence us, right? It changes lives, it changes behavior, it changes all these things that are true. Now in verse 16, what particularly does he say must indwell us. The Word. 
the word of Christ, right? Let the word of Christ dwell within you. Now, that's not just for some of you who have those Bibles with the red letters. That's not just those parts, all right? When it says the words of Christ, that doesn't mean only what he said in the Gospels. But we know very well that uh, at times we find phrases like, uh, this is the word of the Lord. And we understand that to be scripture. Uh, where sometimes we say, this is the word of God. Uh, we understand that to be scripture. And uh, when we see this phrase, uh, the word of Christ, it's kind of interesting. It's the only time in the whole of scripture that it's said that way. It's right here in this verse, the word of Christ. But that would make some sense, because Paul's using this book of Colossians to exalt who Christ is and to show you clearly that he is God. So, what are his words? They are the words of God, aren't they? So, we're very, very, uh, um, well, it's proper for us to say that we're talking about Scripture. These are the words of God, the words of Christ. The purpose of the Bible is not to give you something to set on your coffee table and look nice. It's not just to give you something to, to merely enjoy for devotions a few minutes every morning, perhaps. But it's meant to dwell within us. That's what he sent it for, that it may influence us, that it may inhabit us. Years ago, before I, I went into the ministry, I was at that place in life as an 18-year-old thinking, what am I going to do? And I wrestled with the idea of colleges and all these other things. And, and I'll be honest, I, I first thought, well, ministry sounds great because I only work one day a week. I thought that for a few minutes, and I thought, well, that sounds pretty easy. Um, so I applied to Moody Bible Institute, went down to school uh, at Moody in Chicago. Now, my first idea was to, to sign up in the pastoral theology uh, program and, and study that, since pastor concepts are on my mind. And uh, it's mostly the study of the practices and mostly the study of the, of the programs in ministry. And uh, it wasn't long before I got into it that I realized I don't want to be a pastor. That's what I had decided at that point. It's just so complicated, and and I didn't think I'd like that at all. So uh, I thought maybe I'd enjoy systematic theology instead. Systematic theology is is an intense subject, too. It's all these different theologies, bibliology and uh, Hummer theology and soteriology and all these things. And even the words sound pretty monstrous, don't they? But we had to learn all those, and, and how does Scripture teach all these? And, and we put various doctrines out before us, and, and we put them in their categories, and that's systematic. We tried to work our way through that. How did they develop to what they are today and all that? And I finally got to realize, I really don't enjoy that part either. So I said, there, there must be something there. So I went to the Greek emphasis, and that was just too hard. That's a terrible thing to learn Greek. So I said, no, I'm not going to learn Greek. So I moved out of that class. And what I decided to do was switch to a, a Bible, uh, Bible major. Just a simple Bible major. And so I took all my electives and just stuffed it full of Bible classes. So I had Bible classes all the time. And I've never regretted it since. 
because I found something that I thought was rather interesting along the way. If you want to understand people, as pastoral theology is supposed to teach us, if you want to work with problems, if you want to work with scripture and find answers and all these things in systematic theology and all this, you really just come down to this. You need to know God's word. If you don't know God's word, what good is the ministry? What good is all the theology? What, what good is even the languages if, if we just don't know God's word? That's true. And it's a simple thing. But there are no substitutes for what's in the middle of it all. None. The word of Christ is what we've been called to. And I'm so glad he led me down this path. After he did that, he says, okay, here's your theology back, and here's your pastoral ministry, and here's your Greek too. So, I got all of them eventually, but uh, uh, it's just a simple thing when you see Colossians 3.16 in front of you. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Now, we have to ask this question as we start. How are we doing with that? If we take just a few seconds to evaluate, how much time have we spent in God's word in the last week? How much time have we intentionally set aside? You know, turned off that TV or the radio. We, we've intentionally walked to another room where there weren't any distractions. We intentionally spent some time in God's Word. Did we do that? Have we done that? Is that a habit? Is that something we do at all? Let me explain a couple of things just simply about this Word. God says, let it dwell. Now, As simple as I could say this is, uh, it's a command. It's a command. We call it imperative uh, in the study of the words itself. This is what is expected from him. Let it dwell. It's a command. It's a present tense command, which means it is to continue that way. You, You can't really say it much more powerful than this. Continuous is the concept behind it. Continuous. Not on again and off again, like we are prone to do, but continuously let it dwell. Continuously. And we hurt ourselves when we neglect that. D.L. Moody used to say that uh, seven days without the Bible makes one week. W-E-A-K. That's true. In reality, we, we know that it's going to influence us, don't we? We know that. And we know it changes our behavior. When Paul's writing here in Colossians, go back to chapter 3 again. Start with verse number 5 for a minute. Where he says this. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. These are the things that were in us, he says. These are the things that were in us. These were the things that influenced us. And it's not a pretty list, is it? That's what we were as he begins his statement. But when he says, verse number 7, and in them you once walked, that means it was more than just in us, right? 
It was showing. It was leading us along. We were going along with it because we were living in it. Living in it. Now, that's an interesting picture. We're living in this, and the Word of Christ wants to live in us. And when it lives in us, we don't live in that, right? You see the difference the influence makes. This is the way we were. We walked that way. And we all know it. Whatever indwells us is going to influence us. Whatever indwells us, whatever is in the middle, is going to alter our behavior. What a difference Christ has made. (laughs) When we see the same words and the way Paul started this chapter, we've been raised up with Christ. Verse 1. Verse 3, we have died and our life is hidden with Christ. Verse number 4, Christ is our life. And we will be revealed with Him. Christ has changed us, hasn't He? One of the, the sweetest tenses I, I, I find in the New Testament is what we call an aorist tense. It's past tense. It means it's done. And he uses that in reference to our former way of life. I just love it when I read it and I see it. And I say, and you once formerly walked in your trespasses and said you were dead in your trespasses. And on and on. He uses the aorist tense and I say, thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you. What a difference he's made. What a change he has made in our life. He's changed us, and His Word must influence us continually. That's what it says. Verse 8, verse 8, look at this. Now, you also put them all aside, He says, anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech from your mouth. Put them all aside. Do not lie to one another, since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices. See, it's laid aside. It's over. It's over. It's done. You laid it aside. Put on the new self, he says in verse 10. It's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. We're, we're being changed. We're, we're putting on a new self. We're being renewed to a true knowledge. The image of the one who created us. That's the work that God is doing. That's not on again and off again, is it? He just kind of dabbles like a, a hobby or an experiment in your life? I don't think so. Christ is active in our life. God is changing us. The Holy Spirit won't quit, I promise. And number one, I guarantee He will not fail either. If He's going to make you into the image of Christ, He will win. You may go kicking and screaming, but He will win. This is not on again and off again as far as God is concerned, the process. How often are we saved? Every other day, right? No. How often is God shaping us into the image of Christ? Only on Sundays, right? Or is it all the time? How often must the Word of Christ dwell in us and influence us? Oh, Pastor, you were coming to that, weren't you? That's the point. That is the point here. The the words are consistent with the work of, of God in your life. He wants this to dwell in you continuously. Continuously. That's a present tense command. You got the idea? Pretty strong. Pretty strong. What is interesting 
is that uh, this same verse and this same command in verse number 16 comes with an adverb to give it a little flavor. The adverb, you see, is richly. Let it dwell richly. Let it richly dwell within you. You might have a similar word to that. Uh, that's the way, the way in which Christ's word is to dwell in us. Richly. The word comes from the idea of abundant or full. That's in its family of words, to be full. If you have a cup full of milk, what do you expect from that cup? Milk, right? Because that's, that's what's dominating the cup. That's what you can expect coming from it. Now, if we're indwelt with Christ's word to that extent, what can be expected of us? What can be seen in us? What, what is dominating? What is influencing us? If we're full of His Word. Now, does this sound like it's impossible? You may say, no, that's only for certain people. That's, that's for pastors who know Greek and study theology. Right? Who does He call to do this? Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I've got nine words in and it tells you who they're talking to. Within who? You. Now, that, that includes all of us. That's not isolated to a few who are leadership. Uh, there was a very sad era in history. Mostly between the years 400 or 500 A.D. to about the year... 13 or 1400 A.D., where the people did not have Scripture. They were dependent upon the, the spiritual leader in their community to read to them Scripture and to teach them Scripture. And yet that was in a language that none of them understood. Even the leaders did not understand it at some point. And that word was not being shared. Could you imagine a thousand years of history where people did not know the word of Christ? They called it the Dark Ages. Good reason for that. But how would you have liked to live back then? This very same command was written to them as much as it's written to us. Right? God never changed his mind. That's the way it started and that's the way he expects it to happen. But it's sad when it doesn't get done. It's sad when the leadership fails in that. But it's not only to leadership. It's to all of us. So if the leadership isn't leading us in that, that doesn't give us an excuse, does it? We can't stand up and say, well, I don't know it because nobody ever told me. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. That's a command to all of us. And you know it doesn't come naturally, does it? You accidentally become full of Christ's word. Boy, that'd be something. Kind of like catching the flu, right? Well, I didn't mean to. It just happens. But, you know, you spend your time with those who know the Bible, and maybe it's going to somehow be contagious. That's all it takes, right? Just get next to a guy who knows the Bible. Maybe you're spread a little bit. It doesn't work that way. I'm being a little sarcastic. Our call is to be intentional about this. That's the simple thing. 
The indwelling of the word of Christ, it is done intentionally. It is a command. It is expected of us. And I can't overstate that. I really can't. After all, if we are called the Hillsdale Bible Church, we have to live up to our middle name, right? Scripture is the middle of it all. The middle of it all. Now, with all that, I've emphasized the commandment in verse number 16. Now, let me tie it to our Thanksgiving theme that we are becoming thankful. And this is the essential stuff that's in the middle. In verse 16, it goes on to tell us something to be doing for each other. Two things specifically. In all wisdom, teaching one another... And in all wisdom, using the same phrase, admonishing one another. Some people might have the word instruct there. It could have the idea of, uh, of, of reproof. It could have the idea of, of giving caution or warning. Uh, it's a loving thing to do. If you see somebody in danger, don't you say something? And this, that's what the Word of Christ is meant to be for us. In all wisdom we need this. Where are we going to get this wisdom? The Word? What are we going to get our teaching material? Where are we going to get that? The Word? Where are we going to get the warnings and the advice and the gentle rebuke? Where are we going to find all that? It's in the Word. Now, if we're called to do this with one another... All of a sudden, even our job in ministry is dependent upon the indwelling of the Word, right? That's essential to the actions that come along with this. How are we going to teach if we don't know the material? How are we going to to admonish or warn if we don't know the material? He goes on even to say, um, not just that... But the rest of the verse, uh, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, how are we going to admonish somebody with a psalm if we don't know the psalms? Sounds pretty logical, doesn't it? How are we going to do this in hymns and spiritual songs if we don't even know the words? What do you do if you don't know the words of a song? Hum along. Just sit there and and smile while everyone else is singing. We're called to do this to one another, right? We're called to admonish one another, teach one another, instruct one another, that ministry with one another. We're called to that. But if we don't have the Word of Christ dwelling within us, we don't have the material to do it. We just don't. Notice something here. If we're not indwelt by the Word of God... We can't operate with wisdom. We can't correctly admonish. We can't pull out the psalms, if you will. We don't know the words. And who suffers for it? Go back to verse 16, and you will see. One another suffers for it. You see... It's not that we hurt ourselves primarily. We do hurt ourselves. But it's not just that we hurt ourselves when we refrain from knowing God's Word. We are hurting everyone else in the process. Aren't we? Because then we can't follow through with anything. 
We can't help them at all because we don't know it ourselves. We are hurting the others. Sometimes that's the thing that motivates people. They say, well, this thing, it's only hurting me. It's not going to hurt anybody else. I can do it. It just hurts me. Big deal. But when you find out that it's hurting a lot of other people too, it makes you open your eyes a little bit more and it opens your heart. And you say, oh, I didn't realize it was that involved. Yes, the Word of Christ is that involved. It hurts all of us if we don't spend our time in it. So, my study of the Word, and, and the way it reshapes me into the image of Christ, is for your sake. Your study of the Word, and the way it indwells you, and it influences your life, and it changes you to the image of Christ, is for my sake. It's for one another that we do this. And it's, a, it's appropriate that this command is to all of us then, right? How you benefit and how I benefit, that's the beauty of it. And what that leads us to, when we are all doing it, is thanksgiving. You ready? What's the rest of the verse? Singing with what? Thankfulness in your hearts to God. A response to it all. Because we have taken this seriously and we're doing that, it leads to singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. As we saw this last time we were together two weeks ago on this very same topic, thanksgiving is really the exhibition of God's grace in your life. The word thanks is the Greek word good grace. And we exhibit that. It's not just a holiday. (laughs) It's not something that, you know, you put on a sign. It's something that exhibits the grace of God in your life. It's exhibited because He has been compassionate toward us. And how do we respond to that? Thank you, Lord. You have given us grace. And how do you respond to that? Thank you, Lord. You have given to us mercy. And how do you respond to that? Thank you, Lord. We can go through the whole list of how he's been kind and how he's been gentle and how he's been patient with us and how he is bored with us. He bears with us constantly and how he forgives us and how he loves us and how he's made a bond with us and how he's made peace with us. And all of that leads us to say, thank you, Lord. That's good grace, isn't it? That's what he's done for us. Because we didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. It was given from the pure love of his heart toward us. Amazing. That's what thanksgiving is. It's based on good grace. And our response to that is to be thankful people. But here's where it comes down to. We were told in verse number 12 that we were to put on these things. These very things that God has lavished upon us. We put them on. We put on compassion. Why? Because He's been compassionate with us. So we put it on. We put on kindness. We become kind. We take on the character of it. That's becoming thankful. We assume the, the, the nature of it because He has been kind to us. He has been gentle with us, and so we take the gentle garb and put it on, and we become gentle. That's all in the picture of being thankful. It's not just that we acknowledge it, but that we do it. That we carry it on. He's been bearing with us and we learn to bear with other people. That's because He has taught us that way and we have assumed that character. He has forgiven us. And guess what we do? 
We forgive other people, don't we? That's what we're supposed to put on. He has loved us. He has, he has made a bond with us. He has made peace with us. So we go out and become peacemakers. Does the Lord like that? He said, blessed are the peacemakers, right? He loves it. Because you're, you're starting to wear his uniform. You're starting to look like his son. You're acting this way toward other people. The one and others. Now, how are we going to become like that? It's the word of Christ that dwells within us. It influences us to be like him. You see? This is how the whole picture works together. How are we going to be compassionate unless the word of Christ dwells richly within us and teaches us and admonishes us to be compassionate? So it changes us, and that's what we become. And the same thing for kindness. We want to learn to be kind. We want to be kind people. And the word of Christ dwells within us richly and it teaches us and admonishes us in the area of kindness and we become kind. Then we reflect our Savior, don't we? That's the way it influences us. And I could go on and on and on with the list. But just to make it simple for you right now, we're not going to become thankful unless the word of Christ richly dwells within us. And it teaches us and admonishes us to become thankful. It's not something we just pull up on our own. I think it's this way. To the degree that His Word influences us, to that degree we shall be like Him. If you spend little time in the Word, you will have little resemblances to Christ. You spend much time in the Word, you look a lot more like Him. That's a principle from Scripture. We're told to do this. You know what makes me sad? That the Lord has to command us to do this. Shouldn't we want to do this? Shouldn't we just be just so consumed with wanting to be like Him and knowing His Word that that's just where we go anyway? Why does He have to tell us? Why does he have to command us? Maybe he knows us. <laughs> Maybe he knows these hearts. And he knows what we fill our days with. But I just share to you this morning that the word of Christ is that essential middle. It's that which is making us thankful people. Making us Christ-like in all ways. I don't think you missed the main point, did you? That's what we see in verse number 16. That's what we must do. Now, maybe it's not your habit to spend time in God's Word. Maybe uh, richly isn't the word you'd put next to your indwelling of the Word. Maybe you'd have a different adjective and it sounds pretty puny right now. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? Do I have to call you tomorrow morning? Say, all right, what would you do this morning when you got up? Do, 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 we, do you need that to prompt you? Some people do. They have to make signs everywhere to remind them. Read your Bible. Maybe you need reminders from time to time. But what are you going to do with it? What am I going to do with it? Is it just going to sit there and say, wow, wonderful thoughts? Or do we change this week? Do we start something we haven't done before? Or maybe do we enhance what we've already started? 
Maybe we intensify it, just like the word is intense. Maybe we say, okay, Lord, you know, I can, I can stand to have a whole lot more room in my life for this. And I'm going to make it. Don't wait till January the 1st. All right? New Year resolution. Start now. This is what he says. Present tense command. When is the present? It's now. So it's something we're called to do. So our goal is to let it dwell richly, richly in us. And the evidence that it is doing so is that we start to look more and more and more like our Savior. And I hope that's exactly what you want to look like. That will change our behavior. That will enhance our relationships. That will change our lives. And we will become thankful people. Let's start with a prayer. Heavenly Father, before us is an incredible opportunity, not more, uh, more than even that, an incredible path you have laid before us. A command that we will either obey or disobey. Something that will change us thoroughly, inside and out. Something that is good for us. And good for everyone around us. Something that will bring us joy. Something that will make us thankful. Something that will put that song in our heart when we come before your throne. It is our relationship with your word. And you know every single person in this room. And you know our habits. You know our, our, our time. You know how we spend it with you how much time we've invested in this wonderful book you've given to us. Don't ever let us forget, Lord, how privileged we are to have a copy of it right now. Teach us to use it. Teach us to love it. Give us, Lord, that uh, ambition, that, that desire to follow through with what you've told us to do. For apart from you, Lord, we can do nothing. So challenge us as you have And give us the wherewithal to do it, that your name will be great in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.